Hey, it's September 20th, Friday. The Climate March was today, and I wanted to comment on that. I went to it, I went to it three times. I went before lunch to participate in an organizing group. So this is 11.30 to a little past noon. And after we met in front of the uh, old city hall, we walked to Foley Square together. It seemed like there were tens of thousands of people there, at least. I mean, maybe six figures, maybe 100,000 people or so. Then I had a lunch meeting, and I went back uptown. Then I came back downtown to another meeting, and I walked there down Lower Broadway for a bit. And then after that meeting, which was just about 5 o'clock, I then walked to near um, Battery Park. So I walked with a lot of people. I saw at least tens of thousands of people, maybe hundreds of thousands. I did not see the people, the speakers. So, in fact, I shared with my sister the impressions you're about to hear me talk about the day. And she said the speakers said the opposite of what you're about to hear from me, which I'm glad to hear. But I'm, so I'm going to talk about the impressions I got from the people that I saw. So this is the hundreds that I could see immediately around me, the tens of thousands, maybe hundreds of thousands that I could generally see around uh, in Foley Square and on Broadway, and the few that I heard directly speaking, either because I was in a group with people or just that I heard people talking, being recorded and interviewed and things like that. Now, I believe that ostensibly... This was a children's climate march, and people keep talking about a children's movement. But I have to say that when I hear adults talking about they're so happy that the children are making this movement happen, it always sounds to me like the adults are absolving them response, them, themselves of responsibility, that they're making excuses. Why only the kids? The adults are the ones who are polluting more, generally speaking, obviously exceptions, but the adults are the ones who are making the choices to heat the house and buy the gasoline and fill their cars and drive and stuff like that and fly. And so why only kids? When I hear adults, I don't know why this would be a kid's movement. Of course, they face more of their lifetimes uh, facing the climate issues that are going to happen. And other, uh, This is a climate day, but I lump all the environmental issues together. So it's also plastic in the ocean and mercury in the groundwater and running out of uh, fresh water and things like that. So here's my impressions. It, it's no secret that this country is divided politically and, ad, and that it's adversarial. And I believe that if we're going to fix the climate and environmental issues, we have to recognize, I don't think that there's anybody who intends to pollute. I think that there are a lot of people who do pollute, but I don't think that they're, if you look in their heart, their heart is not, I want to pollute. Their heart is, I want to do stuff that I value and the pollution is a side effect, but it's worth it. And so this describes, if you are on the left, I think you'd probably say, well, that describes a lot of people on the right, the people who run Exxon and so forth. They decided they wanted profits, and it's worth it for them to uh, pollute the earth. But it also describes Al Gore, who in the movie uh, Inconvenient Sequel, I'm thinking of, you know, he had to broker this deal between India and Solar City, and he was flying around. And I think a lot of people watched that and said, well, it's important. He had to do certain things and it was worth it. Well, from a certain, from a leadership standpoint, it looks very similar. So I believe, so there's this political divide. And I think that this issue is being co-opted by the left calling conservatives the enemy and calling oil people the enemy. But I don't think that the people are the enemy. I think that the beliefs that are leading people to believe a certain, to act a certain way and the systems that are in place. And 
the, if there's an enemy, if there's something that we want to change, it's the beliefs that are sustaining the behavior that's leading to the carbon dioxide emissions and the mercury and all that stuff. And the systems that are what were put in place, I don't think for the goal of polluting, they were put in place because people didn't realize that we could actually warm the planet, that we could actually fish that many fish out of the ocean and put that much plastic into it. And so it's very easy to say those others are the enemy and they're wrong and they're bad. And I believe that that will coalesce a lot of people around you who agree with you. But for one thing, I think a lot of those people themselves don't realize that they have beliefs and behaviors and are, uh, are participating in systems that are perpetuating these problems. They're flying, they're filling, they, they drive SUVs and things like that. Some don't, but many do. And they're not recognizing that people within their group are doing these things. And so it's very easy to say there's the enemy and we want to fight the enemy and the enemy is Exxon and the enemy is these conservatives. But ultimately, I think... I don't think, I don't, if the goal is to defeat them, I don't think that's going to work. For one thing, Trump got elected last time, and a lot of people are talking about him, the potential for him, to, to him winning this time. And I think that this adversarial role is increasing the chances of that happening, and I think that's not going to help the environment. That's not going to, when I say help the environment, I mean enable the planet to sustain life, human and otherwise, and human culture in particular. And I don't think people who, I think we have to influence people to change their behavior on, every, on, on all sides to the extent that there are sides. I mean, there's this, gen, there's this divide, this political divide rather. Calling people the enemy, they're just going to say, I'm not the enemy. I'm not, I'm not messing this stuff up. I'm not doing bad things. And then what, you're stuck. You're not influ- they, they, you lose the ability to influence them when you say that they're bad. You know, the other thing was I, I, my lunch meeting was with a, a friend of mine who's um, a businessman. And so where we met, I had to wear a jacket. So I went to the thing before lunch and I was wearing a jacket and, uh, you know, like a blazer. And I really didn't feel comfortable. I, I took it off. So I was just wearing a shirt, you know, regular jeans and a, and a shirt. But I didn't feel comfortable there. And I think business people are the people that would be most valuable to influence and I think they would be distinctly unwelcome there. And they actually, before, after this organizing part, they, were, they sang a little song. And it wasn't Kumbaya, but it was kind of Kumbaya-like. And I was like, this is not, I, don't, I didn't get the goal of that. I felt that, I felt that people there were saying that they're inclusive because they have certainly skin colors and nationalities and languages very well represented. But in terms of um, what Jonathan Haidt would call, or, or that his the Heterodox Academy would call, Viewpoint diversity, very low, very little viewpoint diversity. I think people who weren't welcome there, I, I think a lot of people would have not felt welcome there, in particular the people who won the last election. I could have heard this wrong, but I heard that Greta Thunberg is avoiding U.S. politicians. I mean, she spoke on Capitol Hill yesterday, the day before, but I think that she's avoiding speaking with them because I think that they want to co-opt. See, there's this whole giant institution of on the left and the right, but in this case on the left, that just is like, they have, this is what it looks to me. They have an agenda and they want to win this agenda. And they're using environmental issues as now they're saying, this is part of our agenda and we want to win. But some things, if you don't agree with the left on some things, and the thing is, I generally do agree with most of the stuff on the left, but I didn't feel welcome there, partly because of what I happen to be wearing. Um, 
And I felt like it was co-opting. They were taking an issue that I think is a universal issue and they're making it into a partisan issue. And I think that partisan issue is undermining the effect of helping people to change, in part because I think there are a lot of people who felt very self-righteous there and they felt, well, we're right on these issues. And I don't think that they realized that how much they're probably polluting. And then there are people who were not there who would like to pollute less. And they're probably looking at it feeling like, I don't belong there. And so they're not coming, they're not, the message isn't reaching them. Or they even might be finding solace in, in Fox News and Breitbart and in places that are just saying, look at these people over there, singing Kumbaya and all that stuff. And they're just hippies and I don't know, they're not quite, I'm, I'm overstating it. So I, I predict that Greta will not long from now say, and right now she's saying, listen to the scientists. I think, and she became popular, not in the United States. She, came, she became well-known in Europe first and then became known here. And I, I'm not sure if this, if this political divide and this um, adversarial nature is in the environment there. I think it is to some degree, but not as much as here. And I predict that at some point soon she'll say something like, stop demonizing other people and stop making this politically adversarial. So missing from all of this, I don't just want to criticize what I see. Missing from this is addressing the beliefs and systems that many of these people probably sustain there and many of us don't realize are the issues like you know, growth uh, and, and thinking that no matter what problem happens economically, that, that growth is a solution to it. It can be, and I think is the case, that growth has been solving problems left and right, but contributing to some that are now the big ones. So solve, you can have something that solves many problems but exacerbates others. I think that's a big case. And then the systems, the systems that were in place that, you know, I don't think anyone fault many of the decisions that were made about oil and fossil fuels generations ago before anyone had any idea of what, what could happen. And people today, if they were magically transported back in time and they didn't know the consequences that we see today, they might have done the same things. In which case, you can't really blame those people back then. But in any case, we're here now. And people aren't addressing a lot of the systemic stuff. And some are, many are, but not nearly to the extent that I think they could. And this adversarial thing is undermining it. So missing our role models. Here's something really driving me is that Mandela, Nelson Mandela, when he was in prison, learned Afrikaans, the language, you could say the language of his oppressor. But my understanding is that he wanted to understand them. He didn't see them as the enemy. He saw the ideas that were wrapping them up as the enemy, but I think he expected, and I think came to fruition with some of the, of the leaders of, of, I don't know what you call it, the, I guess the political people with authority who put him in prison. I think a lot of them came around and agreed with him in the end, partly because he learned their language. He understood them. He empathized with them. He showed compassion with them, and he behaved based on understanding and, and sought understanding, not demonizing. I don't believe that even the CEO of Exxon even if they're guilty of what 350.org and many are accusing them of, and I, I believe they probably are. I believe the company probably is, but I believe the people, well, one, I don't think that they, I think that what they are doing or what they did is what everybody did. When you say they knew the facts, they, they knew what was happening and they acted to keep their profits going and obfuscate the science. That looks like what a lot of individuals do. A lot of individuals obfuscate the facts so that they can keep doing what they're doing. I don't know anyone, there's like one or two people of the hundreds, maybe thousands that I've spoken to about not flying, who is not flying? And if you ask them why not, they sound like Exxon. 
in the following sense, that they are saying, well, maybe it's not really the case. Maybe um, there'll be some solution. And, you know, I heard this other thing that maybe, you know, these, uh, all these things that are specious, facetious, self-serving, I can't even call it logic. And separate from all of what they're doing is, I, my message is not that you're bad for doing these things. Although people keep saying, like today at lunch, um, a friend of my friend, she sat down and she said, oh, I feel so bad eating the steak in front of you. And I was like, I don't understand why. If, if, if you think it's right, what does it matter in my view? And if you think it's wrong, that's you, not me. And people know, it seems... I think that a lot of people will be glad when they change their behavior. She said, oh, it's so hard. I said, is it hard for you not to smoke? She said, no, it's not hard for me not to smoke. The shift, if you're a smoker, shifting is hard, but not smoking once you don't smoke is not hard. My message and what I'm trying to deliver is that we will be happy when we stop polluting, when we do these other things. I thought I would be miserable not flying. I thought that I would have my food become more expensive and have less variety and taste worse and be less convenient. When I went to avoid packaged food, I didn't think I would make it. Turns out I love both of these shifts and there's nothing special about me in this regard. It seems to me, <clears throat> the mathematician in me says there should be some proof here, but I see, a, I can't see, I haven't yet figured out what the cause and effect is here, but I see a strong correlation that people, when they take on the commitments of my podcast and they act on their environmental values, consistently it creates community. And there seems to be this big correlation between people enjoying themselves and finding community and lasting joy on the one hand, and that correlates with things that don't pollute. And on the other hand, things that do pollute seems to correlate, seems to correlate with dispersing community and making people feel alone and maybe making people crave. It seems that pollution and burning fossil fuels seems to go well with splitting up communities, splitting up families and making people feel craving and, and addicted and things that bring people together seem to not pollute fresh vegetables, not flying. This is my impressions of going to the parade, not feeling that comfortable, despite it being my big issue, feeling like I didn't want to sing those songs. It wasn't, this wasn't a left right issue to me. This wasn't an adversarial people against people issue. This was a beliefs that people have on all sides that people aren't working on those beliefs and systems that people are i hear them talk system systemic change but i don't see it happening i don't i don't see people looking internally reflecting showing compassion and empathy for people that they disagree with and that's what i want to that's what i want to promote i think that showing more empathy, showing more reflection, showing, looking more at one's own behavior, I think will lead to more happiness, less pollution, more, um, more joy. That's, that's what this is about. And so I hope, that's what I continue to press, that I believe that there's more joy to be had and less pollution. Uh, I'm glad that this march happened. Um, I'm glad that, to see people organizing, but I'm not so happy to see people co-opting I see that happening and I hope we move away from that because I think we'll be more effective and happier otherwise and cleaner.